Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Does God Care How We Vote? I do pray that your hearts and minds would be open. I know this is a very sensitive topic, uh, but I think it is a very necessary topic, again, to cover. That's the reason I wanted to spend two weeks uh, in this space. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that every heart, whether here on this campus or watching online right now, that our hearts and minds would be open to you. Father, that we would really be uh, responsive to truth, to your will, to your way, Father, to your word. And so I, I, I pray that you would have freedom to move and, and freedom to transform and teach each and every one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we covered quite a bit. If you missed that message, I would encourage you to go online and uh, grab it, How would God, uh, Does God Care How We Vote, part one. But a few things that I would hit here just as a, a look back and review. Last week, we established that as believers in Christ, we have a responsibility before God in our communities and before others. We talked about uh, one of our responsibilities is to promote and preserve the name of our Lord. God has called us to do that as believers. Another is to promote and protect the interest of our neighbor and our country. I mean, God has called us to love neighbor and also to take care of the land in which we live, to be good stewards of it. We also talked about uh, that God has called us to secure the sanctity of human life. We'll dive into that even more today. But God has called us to be about uh, promoting life. And then another thing we talked about was to secure the institution of marriage, that being the union of one man and one woman. And so, if, again, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and check it out. We also established last week that we need to start with the right question, starting with the right premise, if you will. And so how should I vote trumps who should I vote for or is bigger than any person will vote for. So our how determines our who as we get into the political uh, conversations as well as the election. Now, God has called us, and that would be you and me, God has called us to really pay attention, all right? God has called us to pay attention to what's happening in our culture. God has called us to be aware of what is happening around us. God has called us, I believe, to stay up to date on current events. So we need to be paying attention to culture, current events, etc. But we are to get our direction from the Lord and from the Word of God. Everything that we hear, every argument that is made, every conversation that people throw our way, it must be poured through the Word of God. The Word of God is our final authority. So what God says gets the last word. If you came to me and your life was falling apart and you said, Tim, help me, I, I don't have a clue. I don't even know which way to turn. I'm upside down. Brandy, if you came to me with that question, I, I would sit down with you, I would grab the Bible, we would open up God's word, we would identify your problem, and we would speak God's solution into your confusion. That's what we would do. If your marriage was falling apart, 
If you were having family issues and you're hanging on by a thread and you came to me, again, I would open up the word, we would identify problem, and we would speak God's solution into that space. Same thing with children, same thing with finances, same thing with an attitude problem. Whatever it is, we believe that the word of God and the Bible is our ultimate authority. The Bible has a solution to whatever confusion that we might be going through. That's where I would turn you to. So as we kind of ponder where we're at as a nation, as we ponder where we're at as a world right now globally, I will tell you this. Every question that you face has one or two possible answers. It's either God's answer or it's everybody else's. Those are the only two options we have right now. It's either we're going to trust what God has to say or we're going to trust everyone else. And I can tell you this, God, his answer is always right, always true, always perfect. The problem is we live in a culture of subjective reasoning that has eliminated objective absolutes. And so we see ourselves in this country right now of people gravitating toward opinions more than they do truth. So again, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at, I would say, ask yourself the question, where should we turn for answers? Where should I turn for answers? And I will tell you, we've got to turn to the Lord and we've got to turn to the world, uh, to the word. I can promise you turning to the world is going to leave you empty and confused. It's the word and it's the Lord. Right now, what we're seeing around us, and we've witnessed it for years, what we see around us right now is we see spiritual, moral, social, and economic confusion going on. You open your eyes, you pay attention to culture, you have conversations with neighbors. What do we see happening? We see chaos and confusion. So where we go for answers is going to be crucial. We must turn to God. So when it comes to politics, when it comes to the election, so many people spend more time interacting with family, interacting with friends, interacting with news, whatever, and we're listening to the wrong voices. Hey, what do you think? Where do you land? And ultimately, what matters is, where does God land? What does the Bible teach? Tony Evans, he's one of my favorite teachers, but Tony Evans made this statement. He said, when people ask you, how are you going to vote in the upcoming election? He said, your answer shouldn't be, I'm going to vote with this side, or I'm going to vote with that side. He said, your answer ought to be, I'm voting with God because God has his own side. I'm going to vote for the party, person, or platform that best represents God's values to advance his kingdom. He goes on to say, the reason so many believers is struggling is that we have voted in the past asking God to bless our agenda rather than us voting according to his plan. We want God to sign off on our plans rather than following his plan, and it doesn't work that way. Evan said, God has only one plan, and his plan is to advance his kingdom. I will tell you, as I said last week, I personally believe that as pastor of this fellowship, and I do believe that our church has a responsibility, our responsibility is to teach and to educate people, God's people, to see life from a divine, eternal perspective. 
and to encourage our people to live with eternity as the backdrop. Then to challenge our people to go out into the world and live out their faith, Rick, for the glory of God. To be what Jesus would be if he was in your shoes. So when we talk about God, his kingdom, what we're talking about is God has complete sovereign reign and rule over everything. I made the observation last week that God is accountable to no one. God answers to no one. God is God and he created it all. So all things that we see has either been caused by God or allowed by God for his glory. The sovereignty of God, when we look at that word, it literally means that I recognize God that you have control over everything. God has ultimate control, period. Now, he's given us freedom, and we have a responsibility to live out that freedom for his glory. But God is in control. He's over all things. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this, and this is something I think that we as a church and we as a community and we as a nation need to pay attention to. And I will tell you this. When God is ignored or when God is rejected and human reasoning is used as the starting point of trying to make sense of God's creation and God's purpose, I will tell you when human reasoning is leveraged as being superior that twisted theology and social norms become the way of life. When God is expelled, when God is dissed, and we allow human reasoning to drive us, what we'll see is social norms being all twisted and perverted, and we will also see people in certain places, in certain pulpits and churches, preaching a twisted theology because we have moved away from the Word of God and we have moved away from truth. And I will tell you, and you know this as well as I do, man has attempted to mold and to shape God into what he wants God to be instead of embracing God for who he is. A.W. Tozer in The Knowledge of the Holy would make a similar statement where he would say, our view of God is the most crucial concept that we have. The problem is man has tried to reduce God down to manageable terms to make God what we want him to be and instead of embracing God for who he really is. So we live right now, all of us in a fallen world. From Genesis chapter 3, once man rebelled against God and sinned against God, we were born into a twisted world. Sin infected every one of us, including me. And so we live in a world that as we look at it right now, we would say it is very absent of a God-style view. We live in a culture right now, and we would say the kingdom perspective, a God-style paradigm, is somewhat absent. Man-made solutions, Jack, has led to socialism, has led to communism, and many other twisted uh, worldviews, ideologies, if you will. And I can promise you, when you see socialism and communism, they use government to suppress religion and to eliminate the voice of God. Those are corrupt, jacked-up worldviews. And you look at the countries that have allowed socialism and communism to take over, what you'll see is the suppression of religious freedom and rights and the elimination of God's voice. And we know 
that there's certain voices that would love to influence and drive this country into such a jacked up twisted narrative. I will promise you this, when a government rebels against God's authority, and when a government denounces God's teachings, that government is in trouble. That government is in ruins. When a nation's laws do not reflect God's standards, that nation is in rebellion against God, and that nation will suffer the consequences. That is what the scripture lays out from Genesis through Revelation. When you study it, a nation that denounces, rebels, and rejects God, that nation is in huge danger. Joshua chapter 5, I'll read a passage to you. But it's interesting that God had promised the people of Israel that he was going to give them the, the promised land. Joshua 5, here's a great kind of text, and you can go back and massage this entire chapter as we think about kind of where we're at right now. But Joshua approached the city of Jericho, and he looked up, and he saw a man facing him. And this man was facing him with a sword in hand. Joshua, uh, Joshua went up to him, and he said, I got a question for you. Are you a friend, or are you an enemy? What he was basically asking are you for us or are you against us? But the man responded, I'm neither. I am commander of the Lord's army. I'm commander of the Lord's army. Joshua had crossed over into the promised land. God had declared, I'm going to give my people this land. I'm going to give it to you. But there's going to be some adversity. There's going to be some tension. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to give it to you, but you're going to have to struggle well. And facing what appeared to be a fortified wall and all these unknown obstacles in Joshua's way, Joshua was like still determined, we're going to experience victory. But as he, as he prepared for war to go against Jericho, an agent, a commander of the Lord's army stood in his way. And Joshua asked the question that people are asking right now. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? That's what people are posing right now. And some, if we're not careful in our narcissism, we began to say, well, I know what side God's on. Oh, no, 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 no. No. That's what people want to know. Whose side is God on? Is God a Democrat? Is he a Republican? Is he a Libertarian? What side is God on? I can tell you this. God's got his own side, as Tony Evans said. God is right. God is perfect. God is true. God does not change. His principles never fail. And the question is not, whose side is God on? The question is, are you on God's side? That's the question that we have to struggle with. Am I really on God's side? Am I really about pressing in to the principles and truths of what God has, or have I picked a side? Am I about advancing kingdom, or am I about picking sides? Ten years ago, ten years ago, I finished up as the chaplain, doing chapel leader work and chaplain for the Atlanta Braves. I'd been in that space for about 15 years, and 
I'll never forget praying through it, knowing, hey, I'm going in to do my last chapel today. It was September 2010. And as I approached the stadium that day, as I drove into the parking lot, I'm like, man, I'm about to go in and do my last chapel with these guys. Now, as I walked into the stadium that day, as I walked into my area to the clubhouse, there were three groups I always did chapel with. Part of my assignment and responsibility was to go in, and yes, I would do chapel with the Braves. That's the home team. But it just so happened that last chapel I did had the Phillies in town, and I had friends on the Phillies, and I had friends with the Braves. And one of my other assignments when I walked into that space was to do chapel with the umpires. Now, there's three groups every week. Every Sunday I did chapel. When I walked in, I, I, I was there to be God's ambassador, and I was there on an assignment to share the truth and to bring the gospel. And I was not there to be a partisan-style minister that I would go in and cheer for the Braves and try to pump them up with David is going to kill Goliath and y'all go get him. And my, my job was not to go over to the Phillies and tell them they suck and Phillies, is, that's just a bad team. And, but it wasn't to go into the room of the umpires and say, you know they're going to play three blind mice. You guys are brutal. You all, you all are going to miss a lot. That's what the peanut gallery does. That's what other people do. I had a responsibility. I mean, John Smoltz is one of my good friends, but Mike Sweeney had been traded to the Phillies, and Sweeney to this day is one of my best friends. So I've got two of my best friends in baseball, one in the Braves clubhouse and one in the Phillies clubhouse, and then Tim McClellan and Ted Barrett and those guys, the umpires. Ted's one of my good friends. And so I, I had like brothers that were created in the image of God in three different spaces. And I had a responsibility. I had a responsibility to go in and share the truth and share the gospel. And, and if anything, I probably identified with that third room more than I did the first room and the second room because that third room had these four guys, these umpires, and their responsibility was to go out on that field and not necessarily look for attention and not necessarily uh, try to figure out how many autographs they could sign. And they were not there to win or to lose. They were there to call the game to protect the integrity of the game. They had a responsibility, and I probably identified more with them than any other and I do believe, as I said last week, I don't think it's wise for pastors to get entangled in partisan politics because we represent a greater king and a greater cause, and we're to speak truth into space and to love people wherever they're at. And I think a lot of times I see Braves fans and Phillies fans when it comes to Democrats and when it comes to Republicans, and I think a lot of times we've lost our voice in leveraging being God's people. Do you hear me? You've got a responsibility and so do I. We belong to a kingdom that's way beyond this world. And we've got to be careful because every day we engage with people and have conversation with people. And Kenny, they may, they may pull for a different team than we do, but our king has created all people in his image and he desires to see redemption and every person walking with him. That being said, there's a few things I know as I continue Dallas to kind of ponder this. A few things I know. One thing I know is this. Both political parties attend church, both Republicans and Democrats. 
And I do believe that if politics divine, defined by John Stott is accurate, I believe the church must be engaged in the art and science of seeing people live together in community before God. I do believe that is our responsibility. I do believe that biblical truth should be the foundation that we reason from as we come, in, as we come into conversation with whoever. I like, I like what John Piper said. And if you get a chance to read his recent thing he released, I don't agree with everything Piper said in it. I think there's some troubling things, but I think there's a lot of healthy things to consider. But Piper said this, Christians communicate a falsehood to unbelievers when we act as if policies and laws that protect life and freedom are more precious than being a certain kind of person. He said, it is baffling to assume that pro-abortion policies kill more people than a culture, uh, culture saturated with pro-pride, pro-self-pride. Do you hear me? One of the things that concerns me amongst evangelicals is we will attack that pro-life, pro-choice argument but for some odd reason, we rank sin and we maximize and minimize. And for some odd reason, we tolerate arrogance and pride and ego as if, well, maybe you grew up around church culture way back like I did, where I would hear people in church really attack alcoholism, but they were okay with gluttony. Pastor standing in the pulpit, five foot eleven, three hundred and twenty pounds, going off on the ruins of alcohol, and Bubba couldn't see his belt. We've got to be careful not to get into this ranking of sin. Tim, do you believe that killing an unborn is sin? Do you believe it's murder? You doggone right, I do. But I believe arrogance and pride. Or sin, and sin is deadly. Tim, do you really believe that we need broken, humble, honest people in leadership? I do. I, I didn't say people that roll over and play dead. I said people that are broken before God, humble and honest, that are willing to stand up. Yeah, we, we do. Tim, do you believe that as a believer in Christ, we should do everything we can to promote and preserve the unity of the Spirit of Christ? I do. We'll get into that next week as we dive into Ephesians chapter Four, do you believe the ultimate role of a born-again believer is to advance God's kingdom? I do. And I believe we've got to be kingdom-minded. I believe we've got to live with eternity as the backdrop. You believe that? I do. Here's something else I know, Dave. I know that those who love to argue politics don't love their country more than others. They just like to argue. Come on, somebody. And I personally believe that creating strife and arguments are symptoms of a weak faith. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, we read six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, haughty meaning prideful. Look at me. A lying tongue. We see that happening. Hands that shed innocent blood. We'll come back to that. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. 
a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife. Man, we see fights and we see bickering and we see lying tongues. And but, but one of the things and the seven things that he hates, that he detests, that is an abomination. He says, "Man, I, I, I'm not into that. You spreading strife." And people that love to create strife and arguments, be careful. If you're watching online, please be careful. Because God is opposed to the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And I encourage you to humble yourself and be about advancing the kingdom of God. Here's another thing I've witnessed and I know. I know that political talk radio and cable news care more about ratings than they do truth. They do. And media personalities get rich by creating fear and reaction in their listeners. You turn it on. And it doesn't matter which network you're going to. These guys get rich by creating fear and reaction and animosity in their listener. If you give your favorite talk radio host more time than you do to Jesus, you've got a master issue. And I think for a lot of people, they're listening to the wrong master. You know, as I was thinking through this, I started doing just a little research. In 2018, radio, talk show, voice, whatever, personality, Howard Stern made $90 million. He just signed a new deal here recently. Here's an interesting thing. In 2018, Rush Limbaugh made $84.5 million. Ryan Seacrest, he really got on the map big time for most people with American Idol. He made $74 million. And Sean Hannity made $36 million. Can I tell you something? Ratings drive more revenue. And creating division and hostility... I'm not saying that some of these guys do not share some truth. You've just got to be careful when you listen to it. And I think a lot of people have been taken down as a result. I would tell you another thing I know, and I would challenge you, refuse to live paranoid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and of sound mind. And there's so many people right now that appear to be living crippled lives, all tied up. But if we are truly a church that believes that God is in control, then we must believe he's in control of all times, and he's also in control of end times, which means he's in control now. He's in control. He was in control when Adam and Eve willfully rebelled against him in the garden. You going to let that happen? Yeah, I'm going to give man freedom. But man has perverted freedom over the years. Here's another thing I would say to you, and I would encourage you to think through this because I've heard this, but stop believing that this is the most important election in history. Is it important? You doggone right. But I can tell you before Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States, people thought it was okay to own other people. There's been a lot of important elections. This is an important election. But if we step back and it, if we pledge our allegiance to Christ and we're about advancing the, the kingdom uh, 
values of God, we'll go, God, you're sovereign and you're in control. You're sovereign. You're the ultimate ruler. And, 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 and we know that all governments are to reflect his ultimate rule. I want to dive into that. Scripture clearly teaches us, Steve, that there is no authority apart from God. Last week we hit Romans 13, but it says any governing authority that exists has been established by God. No, that doesn't mean that the people occupying these positions are serving God, and it doesn't mean that the decisions are being made today are, are representing and honoring God, but it does mean government exists because God has put it there. God has put it there. But the institution of government is a God thing. Now, Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. He says, this is the order. I want you to hear it. He goes, I want you to fear God and then honor the king. But the order will always be vertical before it's horizontal. I want you to fear God. I want you to worship God. I want you to serve God and then honor the king. And I can tell you, and I will tell you this as Pastor Shepherd here at this fellowship, if a government refuses to submit to the rule and authority of God, you have a legitimate reason to protest. Man's laws can be resisted if they're in direct conflict with the principles of God's word. But it doesn't mean that we have permission to be rebellious and reckless with whatever comes our way. We have to look and go, does this oppose God? That's the reason back to Peter and John. That's the reason back to Daniel. We must obey God. Even if we die, we're going to obey God. The, the formula, if you will, is always fear God, then honor the king. Is there corruption? Yes. Now, Last week, I, I shared this with you, and I want you to hear it, but under God's sovereign rule, he's created four, uh, if you will, uh, governmental systems. And, and, and think about this. Go back and study scripture and study God's layout. Craig, here's the first one, self-government. Self-government. Individual government. Self-government and individual government is to lead yourself in such a way that you honor the principles and the statutes of God's word. If every person did that, tell me where we would be today. If every person that even claims to be a follower of Christ was self-governing and really honoring God, where would we be today? And then the second thing he put in place was the family now, God established the family as the foundation, I believe, for civilization back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and that's the reason you cannot redefine marriage and you cannot rede uh, redefine what God has set in motion in regards to how a family and a husband and wife are to be together. And I think, again, we've seen people try to redefine that. But families fall apart because people think they exist for their own personal pleasure, their own self-serving hedonism, rather than for the kingdom of God. If you know broken marriages and broken families, you would go, what happened? And a lot of them started out as train wrecks. But when people conclude that their purpose for existence is for their own pleasure their own fantasies, and for them to chase after their own hedonistic lifestyle, you start to see an erosion. We're here for the glory of God. 
We're here to honor God. The church is the third form. The church is to serve as a moral conscience to the government and to the people. The church is to be there reflecting the values and standards of who God is and the truth of God to government and people. Hey, you can't do that. That's against God's standard. The only reason government exists, civil government, is because God created it to exist to reflect and represent him. (laughs) You got to know this. And civil government is in place to create and maintain righteous and just environment, if you will, where freedom can flourish. It is there to promote conditions where people can flourish, and it's also there to protect against increased evil that can happen. Why does the government exist? To protect and promote the freedoms that man is to have, but also to be able to protect. Who's our ultimate protector? God. If we self-governed, and families stayed strong, and the church continued to be an echo and voice, and the community, where would we be today if there had not been an erosion of going away from God? So civil government is to exist under the ultimate authority of who God is. What's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil? I personally believe, gang, everything should be birthed out of what God says. Even when we were looking at it the other day, when God looked at Moses and basically laid out a structure or form of government in Exodus, I would encourage you to read that. So knowing God's viewpoint on crucial issues should be our fundamental focus as you contemplate voting. Whether it's immigration, whether it's taxes, whether it's racial disparity, abortion, social justice, injustice, We should have a kingdom mindset going into it. Every choice you make should be for the candidate or a party or a policy that will best represent and advance the kingdom of God. Again, Tony Evans is such a strong voice. And I've read quite a bit of Dr. Evans over the last days. But Tony Evans made this statement, and I want you to hear me on this. He said, when faced with a situation where neither candidate or party appears to represent God's kingdom values, then it must be determined which answer can best be used to give God the most glory. You must choose what is in the best interest of advancing the kingdom of God. You've got to, and you've got to divorce yourself from partisan affiliation. You've got to go, what will best glorify God? What will it What will at best advance the kingdom values? That's where we've got to land. God promises to bless the nation that recognizes his authority. Psalm chapter 33, I want you to hear this. But the psalmist said, let the whole world fear the Lord. Let everyone stand in awe of him, the Lord. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. And then he goes on to say, the Lord frustrates the plans of God. The nations and nullifies their schemes. Who can frustrate a nation's plan? Who can dethrone? God can. But the Lord's plans stand forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The king is not saved by a mighty army. 
A warrior is not delivered by great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord are on those who fear him. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. For our heart rejoices in him. We trust in his holy name. He said, blessed is the nation that will recognize the authority of God. Tim, do you believe that the plans of the Lord will be executed and lived out forever? I do. Do I believe that oftentimes it's through persecution and it's been through attacks that the church has flourished and grown? Yes. Do I believe that the church flourishes at times because of comfort and convenience? No. I believe that when we get pressed and squeezed at times, it's where we have to lean into the Lord. Now let me go ahead and jump back out here on this limb. I will tell you this, those who favor legalizing abortion on demand, which means to take an innocent human being's life, are making a choice to go against God's laws. Any person that is okay with endorsing or applauding legalizing abortion on demand, you're going against God's laws. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 says, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Remember, back to Proverbs 6, when I quoted that, God hates and God detests hands that kill the innocent. When governing authorities legalize the shedding of innocent blood, they have placed themselves and those that they represent, that would be us, in the direct line of God's judgment. Humanity has been made in the image of God from conception to death. It's life. Attacking the life of another person is attacking God himself. And I will tell you this. There is a price to pay for the shedding of innocent blood. I personally believe that the more unborn babies that are murdered in our land, the more we can expect violence in our culture as well. Because we've already set the tone that killing is okay, and it's not okay, and it will never be okay. When a culture goes against God's laws, God will allow that culture to experience the consequences. We need global repentance. We need a global awakening. We need a national revival. We need people to get back on their knees and to get their hearts right with God. God is for life. God is pro-life. And I believe we have to ask the question, does the candidate promote life or does the candidate devalue life? I want to close you with this. Poetry put together from a while back. But I got in and started to massage this thought Again, as the lights go down, I want you to just ponder this with me. 
Our nation has shifted. Truth is on trial. The liberal voice lives in denial. If you believe the Bible, be ready to fight. Darkness is valued more than the light. We saw prayer get expelled from school. Evolution applauded. It became the new rule. Bibles in the classroom, they're seen no more. Absolutes disregarded. Truth is ignored. The courts violated the laws of the land, caving to pressure while appeasing demand. Rainbow colors waving with pride. Hearts are deceived, evil inside. Roe versus Wade claimed to give people choice while millions of babies were given no voice. Eliminate life is a scheme straight from hell. Lies and deception seem to prevail. But why would the Lord bless our land? Our nation rejects his laws and commands, forget you, God. That's the song being sung while millions of people are silent and numb. I refuse to sit silent while this war rages strong. Rescued from sin, to him I belong. He's the lion that conquers my king and my Lord. I'll declare Jesus only until time is no more. You deserve my allegiance my Savior, my friend, I'll praise you forever, forever. Amen. God remains sovereign. He's the same still today. Extending his grace, he will have the last say. Pledge your allegiance to the Lamb that was slain, our supreme authority, holy, his name. Yes, God is sovereign. He's the only way. My Savior, my King, Yahweh. Yahweh. As you sit here just with your eyes kind of closed in contemplation, the psalmist said in Psalm 94, verses 16 and 17, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will stand up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. God will fight for us, but we must not be silent. I believe it's time to rise up. It's time to stand up. The time of tension is here. And the tension is between who you are and who you could be, and it's between how it is and how it should be. It's time to move toward the Lord. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we wanna see you committed to Christ, we would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through 
uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.